Welcome to Ask the Educator, a podcast brought to you by Healthmark Industries. Are you a sterile processing technician or manager? Maybe you work in infection prevention or biomedical engineering. Whether you're a frontline tech, endoscopy tech, OR nurse, or surgical services administrator, you undoubtedly have influence in medical device processing at your facility. In each episode, we speak with experts from the Healthmark Clinical Affairs team, industry leaders, or special guests from the trenches to answer your questions and bring you relevant industry information, equipping you for excellence in medical device processing. My name is Kevin Anderson, and I will be your host. Now let's get started. All right. Welcome to the Ask the Educator podcast. My name is Adam Okada, and I'm going to be hosting this episode. And with me are my guest panelists from the horror stories in sterile processing that we just did today. We recorded today. But I'm going to turn it around. Kevin Anderson is here. The podcast host of Ask the Educator is going to be a guest this time. So we're going to turn it around. We also have Melinda Elamari and Seth Hendy. All of us are uh, clinical education specialists with Healthmark. But Kevin, you're on the other side of the microphone this time. I'm going to throw it to you. What are some of the worst things that you are seeing in facilities? We just did horror stories from the field. So what are the worst things you're seeing in the field? This is a good question, Adam, and it's, it is kind of weird to be the guest on my show, but that's kind of cool too at the same time. And you're really good on the webinar, so I have complete confidence in you as a podcast host. Oh, I appreciate but that. Regarding worse stories, uh, you know, one of the things that I didn't bring up from the webinar today, although I do encourage you to check that out if you missed it, and it is kind of common too. These are things that we kind of get used to seeing and used to doing. In my career, I kind of got more germophobic, not less, but some people get less germophobic, right? And I think John and somebody else had some slides there where they had food and Seth too had food all in all these different places. I can't imagine having food in my endo reprocessing area. But one of the things that I just saw the other day was a tech who was all set up in decontam. They got all their sinks and everything set up and the case card just hadn't come down yet for them to get working and all that. And they sit down and they promptly get on their phone and they have all their PPE on and just sitting there like waiting for the work to show up. And they just contaminated their entire PPE line. And here they are just kind of fiddling away on their phone. Like there isn't something better to do anyway. Just as an FYI, number one, that's obviously a huge infection control issue, but there's always work to be done in decontam. Like if there's not a case cart there, that doesn't mean there isn't something that can be done. It's the dirtiest place in the hospital, pretty much. I mean, you can wipe down the horizontal surfaces, you can organize, you can do some work, you can check spray arms, you can do different things, but this is a huge infection control risk. I don't know why you would want to bring your phone out with your PPE on and decontam, but that's definitely one of the worst things I've seen lately, but there are many, of course. And at the same facility, there was a really poor, really, really poor point of use practices. So when those case cards did finally come down, there was no spray. There was no wiping of gross soils. There was no opening of the clamps. Some were open, some were not, you know, and it was just, there were so many problems. There were, it was an open case cart. So all the containers of items that had holes in them weren't even OSHA compliant. So there was a lot of things going on in the same place, but, but yeah, that's kind of the thing that's the freshest in my mind. Cause I just saw it, but I'm sure there's there's all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure Seth and Melinda have some too. Well, I was going to add to that, the concept of sitting in decontam. 
I've been seeing this quite a bit. And I'm like, Deacon Ham is the place you want to spend the least amount of time in. And to just sit there and lounge in Deacon Tam, to me, there should never be a seat in Deacon Tam. You should not have a chair back there because we don't want to encourage staff to spend more time sitting back there. If there's nothing going on in Deacon Tam, come out and help in assembly or come out and do something else. You know, but to Kevin's point, there's always stuff right? You can organize, you can relabel stuff, but just sitting there lounging is a whole nother story that I'm seeing that trend too. Yeah. And if there is a chair in Deacon Tam, why would you want to sit in it? Like that seems like the worst, most contaminated chair in the facility. Like, please don't sit in chair in decontamination. Uh, Seth, what are you seeing? What, what's some of your worst stories or worst experiences you've had going out in the field? You know, I have to say one of the worst things ever, and you can imagine why I would say that, was at a facility where every six inches seemed to to be something wrong. We talked a little bit about critters, as John put it. This was a place with fly strips. So that should be bad enough as it is, right? But no, then we moved, you know, another six feet into the department and uh, saw someone handling, they had a cooling rack that was not the sterilization rack. So immediately when I said, hey, what's this rack? And they said, oh, that's the cooling rack. And I said, no, we don't touch things until they're cool anyway. So you don't need a cooling rack to move them to any rack. They'd already been cool. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. We have things on and off here all the time. Said, okay, you know, bloody handprint on the back door, food in the, it, it it was really, the culmination of, of practically everything that you don't want to happen. And so that's really why it's it sticks out as my worst story because I've been into plenty of places and said, oh, okay, that's not good. And that's not good. This manager came around with us and basically said, well, I'm just so busy all the time and the OR wants their stuff. And what am I going to do? And that apathy, you know, I'm not trying not to be mean, but that apathy had proliferated to everything that you could think of. Any place a corner could be cut, a shortcut could be taken, or a bad practice could bloom, it did. And honestly, we see that a lot, right? It's not just one thing. So you go into the department, everything looks okay initially, right? I mean, if you obviously see a fly strip in the corner, that's bad. But like, as you go deeper, as you start looking, you see one thing, then you see two things, then you see three things. And then it's sort of like a snowball, right? It's like going down the rabbit hole where you just see these over and over again, and you see the same problems and you see, you know, multiple problems because one compounds the other. Kevin, go ahead. What what else are you seeing in there? Oh, I just, I don't know why, but it just triggered a memory in my mind of visiting a facility and I was just kind of observing in decontam. I don't know what it is about decontam. I feel like the worst thing has happened there. But I observed somebody come in. They had no case cart washer. All right. So this is already kind of like, uh, not very good. No automated way to clean case carts. And so these this person had a dirty case cart. They had zero PPE on and they started like cleaning the case cart. I'm like, I couldn't even believe my eyes. Like I, I was questioning if I was seeing things correctly, you know, like did that really just happen, you know? But that was another one of those ones that uh, it just popped in my mind. It's definitely one of the worst things. I've seen in a decontam. And to your point, Kevin, I was in one facility where the supervisor walked through there. They didn't have a case cart washer, sorry, either. They just had this space where they would clean the case carts and push them through this kind of corridor. And he walked through into decontam, went over to the dumbwaiter, 
took the dirty stuff off the dumbwaiter, carried it over to the sink. Mind you, no PPE whatsoever on him. And then went, walked right back out to the assembly side and started doing stuff. And I'm like, I almost had a heart attack. This was, I, I mean, we were, it was in a place, and here's the worst part, because the SPD didn't want to push back on this. Their implant trays were restocked by the vendor. To get in front of that, the vendor just would come into decontam and put new implants into a soiled tray before it went through the washer. And do you think that they wore any PPE to do this? No, because they, you know, he just wanted to get his part done and get out of Dodge. And when we actually began to push back, the manager said, well, I don't want to restock the, you know, the, that helps us that they're willing to do this restock part for us. I don't want to stop that from happening. So this bad OSHA practice was being allowed to try to make something go quicker and easier inside the department. Stuff like that just gets let go again, because it's easier, right? It's more convenient for the staff. So they're like, all right, we'll let this occur. And that's honestly, that's probably the core of a lot of these horror stories we see is like the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? They think they're doing something good by saving the staff time, but really they're allowing something that should not be allowed at all. So Kevin, what kind of trends are you seeing when you're going into facilities? What are the kinds of things you're seeing over and over again that facilities are doing? Um, Two things come to mind when it comes to really common trends. One has to do with orthopedic shavers. All right. So we've known for a long time that orthopedic shavers have been linked to infections. And part of the reason is because people lack the equipment and the brushes. Number one, the equipment is a borescope to inspect the, the inside of the shaver. And they lack the brushes to properly clean the inside of the shaver, as well as the training and competency associated with it. But we come in and we take a look at somebody's ready for patient use shavers. And I'm telling you, it's got to be around 95 to 99% are obviously contaminated, but they don't know it because many times they don't even have the borescope. They say it's too much money. I'm telling you, it's not too much money. Compare your budget to an OR budget. It's a couple pennies, basically, compared to the OR's budget. It's not too expensive. I'm telling you to do this the correct way, especially since a lot of shavers spell it out in their IFU that you have to inspect the internal surfaces with a borescope. So that's one thing that is kind of just, it's frankly just alarming because it's been known for over a decade now that these things are linked to potential infections. Another one is insulation testing. Something that's common between two of them is that sometimes even when they have the equipment, they're not doing it. Either they only have one or it's in a shelf somewhere. And I will use my own department as an example, because when I started as a manager, I didn't know about insulation testing until a rep taught me about it. And then I found an insulation tester in my office that was sitting there probably for years that they were supposed to be using and didn't know, and it wasn't being done. And we promptly purchased enough insulation testers for each station. So one of the things that continuously happens is either there's no borescope and no insulation testing, or those pieces of equipment are there and they're just not being utilized properly throughout the department each and every time and for the right devices. Like I was in a place that had a borescope the other day. They were using it for flexible endoscope channels. That's great. I wouldn't stop you from doing it, but they're doing a lot of orthopedic arthroscopies with shavers and all of that. And not a single one was being looked at. So 
those are very, very, very common in my experience. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I've been to one where I ask, well, do you guys have a boroscope? And they say, oh yeah, it's sitting on a box in the manager's office. You know, it hasn't been installed. Nobody's yeah. using it. It's just sitting there. Like if you're going to spend the money to do it, why not use it? Because that's what it should be used for. And then think about the cost of a boroscope is relatively small when you think about the cost of an infection occurring yes. in a patient yeah. because you didn't look inside the shaver. So again, it's a minuscule cost compared to a surgical site infection. Belinda, what are you seeing again and again when you're out in the field? So yeah, I was going to just agree with that, Adam, because if you think about the cost of a boroscope at every workstation you have, it's still hugely less less comparable to a lawsuit, right? Like, come on. So I think the things that I see a lot, um, I mean, there are quite a few, right? One of the things that I'm seeing is surrounding peel pouches. Peel pouches, every facility I go into, I will find issues with peel pouches. One of them being that if they have multiple companies or vendors for their pouches, they're using two different vendors to double pouch stuff. So that's a big no-no, right? Like they're not validated in that manner. Nobody, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm pouch company A and I'm going to go, hey, pouch company B, can I borrow yours so I can validate this? No, you know, so we need to make sure that we're sticking with the company and they're the same company when we're double pouching stuff. Additionally is the seals, right? We talked about this on the horror story thing. Those little loops, I see it every single time. And then also the seal from the heat sealer, making sure that it's straight, no wrinkles in it, no bubbles starting to form in there. So tip protectors on, you know, instruments inside those peel pouches. So all of these things are things that we see on a continuous basis for all the facilities that we go in. Like you said earlier, Adam, it's the same stuff everywhere. And, you know, it's just a matter of education. And like people do things because they don't know. And it's not, nobody ever goes, well, nobody that I've met goes into the department is like, hey, you know what? Today I feel like uh, double pouching something and with the wrong vendor. I mean, nobody does that. They don't know. They don't know why. And so that's a huge part. Why are you doing this? Educate the staff on why. And if you don't know, educate yourself on why so that you can be a better resource for your staff as well. I should have known the Kipster was going to go right to the packaging, right? It's obviously the packaging material. Uh, that's always going to be a problem. Go Kipsters. The Kipsters. Yeah. So you can't fix what you don't know, right? If you don't know that that seal has to be tight and if there's an air pocket in that self seal, it's not a proper seal. And if you don't know that, you're just going to keep going too fast and you're going to keep sealing wrong. So again, education, absolutely key. Seth, I'm going to throw it to you. What are you seeing out in the field? So I only have one trend that I see, but it, it's scaring the crap out of me. And it is that you get to outsource a lot of things now. And then we hear that whatever happens, it's okay because somebody else does it. So let's use Kevin Shavers, for example. I've been to three facilities in the last six months who said, well, we don't clean our shavers. We have someone else clean them. We, we contract that service out. And I said, oh, okay, well, so are, are they doing the FDA prescribed visual inspection, enhanced visual inspection, either with cleaning verification or a boroscope or something like that? And they said, 
Well, we don't know. No, we contract. So of course we said, Hey, here, you're the contracted shaver person. Are you, are you using a borescope? No. And so we go back to the manager and say, well, if these are incorrect, I, I know that you have it contracted out, but if these are incorrect, is it going to be that company or is it going to be your facility that has a problem with an infection? Oh, and uh, same thing, Melinda and I were in two spots where we asked about laparoscopic instruments. And they said, oh, no, it's great. We don't worry about that. It's a contracted service. And we said, okay. And they talked to us about some of the things they did, but they weren't cords, monopolar, bipolar. They didn't touch coded bipolar forceps, right? They were, you know, and so that's a bit of a disturbing trend. I'll just pay someone to do this difficult task and then pretend like there's no liability that comes back, which is not true. Obviously, not a good trend to be seeing in the facilities that we're contracting out and have no idea what's happening on the other end. Melinda, go ahead. I was just going to say, and to add to that, like Da Vinci, right? We're seeing that this happen a lot with Da Vinci arms now, or sorry, Da Vinci wrist instruments, where you know they're contracting those to another company. I mean, the rep, the the reps are there on site, but they don't know themselves, and it's just getting passed over. It's not being done correctly. And so you got the same situation happening with Da Vinci instruments now. And, you know, on that line with Da Vinci instruments, one of the other things that we see a lot is the sterilization cycles for Da Vinci instruments are not being tracked by sterile processing. Every time I ask that, I get the same response. No, the OR tracks that. And I have to explain, no, the OR is tracking the use cycle and the machine is counting the use cycle on those instruments sterilization cycles is a different story and that you need to be tracking those because there's only a specific amount that is allowed for those instruments. Excellent point that the use cycle is when the OR attaches it to the machine. It counts as a usage of that instrument, but for sterilization, if it gets sterilized 10 times, it's done. Even if it's never been attached to the machine in the OR. So the OR can't be relied on to track sterilization. So that's another good point, uh, something that's very confusing. So we're going to go into some final piece of advice. Kevin, how can facilities turn things around? They're, you know, we've, They've seen these horror stories. They've heard about them. How can they turn things around and make things better? I mean, I think there's a lot to this, and we did discuss it a little bit on the webinar, uh, but some of the things that I think people really could benefit from is simply scheduling time in their day to go around and actually just visualize what their staff are doing and take in what the practices are. Do they really know how to use that? Like step back and watch them use the insulation tester. Step back and see if they go to that borescope when they've been trained to use it to look down a shaver or look through the window and see what's going on and decontam. You know, even if you're really good and you've covered the training You've covered the competency. The, the real life stressors of a sterile processing department can lead to the degradation of correct practices over time. And so one of the best things you can do is continuously monitor it. Don't set it, do your education, do your competency, and then forget it. Like, oh yeah, we're, we're good now. You got to really continuously pay attention to these things. And everybody has to be on the same page. It is a big time leadership responsibility, but you can bring to Melinda's point earlier, she brought up a great point on the, on the webinar, and that is get 
frontline staff involved, get them involved in observing what's going on in other places so that you don't have to be there all the time. I mean, like, how can you cover three shifts every single day of every single week? You can't, you have to get other people involved in the department. You can even borrow from infection prevention or quality departments. They would love to help you out. I, I'm sure they would love to learn about more about SPD and how to make sure it's quality and, and all of that. So I just, I, the biggest overarching theme that, that I can share is just to continuously monitor in your department. Don't just get pulled away by putting out fires all day. Schedule that time in your day every day to observe and see what's going on. How are your people doing what they're doing? Are they doing it correctly? And is there any gaps to close? Yeah. And I think we mentioned it during the webinar too, that we go in and it's not that, you know, Seth mentioned it, we're not geniuses, myself especially. So when we go in, we're not seeing you know, things that are impossible to find. It's fresh eyes, right? It's somebody coming in with an outside perspective. And you have those people even within your hospital. Like Kevin said, the IP, risk management, get those people involved and have them come walk through your department. They're going to find these gaps in your paperwork, problems with food in the department. They're going to go through drawers and look for things. All those things are just fresh eyes. Sometimes as managers or department leaders, we can't see the forest through the trees. And we just don't see the problems because we're too close to it. So great point, getting some other people in there to look and help you out with fresh eyes. Uh, Melinda, final piece of advice. How can facilities turn things around and avoid becoming horror stories? So, you know, I think for me, I would say break it up, try and not, okay, if we're going to use these puns, like don't eat an elephant all at once, right? Like, all right, one bite at a time. But not just that, like, try to make it fun and try to make it engaging in a way that staff take on and they understand, right? So if I tell you to do something, Adam, and I just say, because I said so, I mean, are you going to do it? I mean, you're going to do it reluctantly. I'll do it out of fear of you probably. Yeah. (laughs) But when I turn around, maybe you won't continue doing it, right? You're going to be like, oh, I don't need to do this. But if I say to you, Adam, you know, I need you to do A, B, and C, and this is why I need you to do it because da-da-da-da, you're going to be like, oh, okay, now I understand why. And I think we as leadership, I'm going to say, managers, educators, supervisors, we don't take the time to really have staff understand that aspect. And and so we really need to take that time. Make it fun. You know, like you get tickets, you know, like the raffle tickets, for instance. So I used to hand out raffle tickets, maybe, you know, five or 10 to my supervisors. And then I would have some. And if I seen somebody doing something correctly, I would give them a raffle ticket. Right. And then we would have a drawing and it was like a treasure chest. I mean, honestly, some of the prizes were so corny and stupid. But it was so much fun and staff looked forward to it. And just little things like that get them and keep them engaged in what we're trying to do and the changes that are trying to be implemented in the department. So I think that's my biggest thing is think of new ways to think outside of the box and don't just always focus on the people who are doing it wrong. Give highlight to the people who are doing it right and make them the leaders for that department. I love that. Being positive, right? It's positive reinforcement. It's always going to be more effective than the negative reinforcement. If people are just avoiding the bad stuff, when you're not looking, they're going to go right back to doing the bad stuff, right? But positive reinforcement works a lot better. Seth, final thoughts? How can facilities turn things around? 
I don't. Uh, I actually everything everybody said is is great, uh, and and I say do double of all of that, right? Um, but uh, don't get caught up in history either, right? That happens a lot. We get told a lot. Well, I tried to fix this before and it didn't work. I tell the staff all the time, and they do. You know, they more or less turn into excuses. If it's so easy to give up from the manager's perspective on a quality initiative or on a process that they say, this is what we should be doing, then why does the staff care? You know, most of these things that are quality take time, they take money, they take effort, you know? And so when you see a manager not walk in the walk and talk in the talk, right? They say, well, you know, manager said we should do that, but he gave up on that initiative after a week. So where's, where's my skin in the game, right? So don't, you know, don't let kind of history drag you down and don't let your mis- misgivings about something cause a problem. We can make improvements if you decide that quality and quality improvement is going to be something that you hang your hat on. Your The people in your department will see that. They will see you invest the time. They will see you invest the energy and think, well, wow, you know, I should, I should do that too. Uh, and then to Melinda's point, I will tell a very quick anecdote. First, HSPA was issued at the time that I ever went to. I came back. I walked into the department and I said, we do everything wrong. They should close this place down. Because I had just listened to a week of big brain people talking about best practice and ideal situations and thought, well, we don't have that. We're never going to have that. They ought to just shut this place down. And to Melinda's point, no, we picked an initiative and we started to work on it. And then we picked another and then we picked another, right? Small bites, make it manageable and you will see success. Incredible advice from everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining us on the Ask Educator podcast. Kevin, Melinda, Seth, thank you for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All opinions expressed on this show are those of the presenters. Before using any medical device, it is important to review the device manufacturer's instructions for use.